I cannot believe that December is already here. How often do you hear a statement like that? Don't we just say it with about every month? You're going to be saying it in January. I can't believe it's 2023. You're going to be saying it when summer gets here. You're going to be saying it when summer ends. Whether it's holiday arrive, holidays arriving, the summer passing by, we know that time flies, and yet we somehow continue to be surprised that time flies. And so the question that we ought to ask, perhaps not would be, I can't believe this month is here, can you? Perhaps the question we should ask, now that it is here, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to make the most of it? Amidst the unceasing hum of Christmas gatherings, of decorating the home, of finishing school and work projects before the break of the holidays, we know there is so much that demands our attention, and yet if we're not careful, we can run at full speed while not allowing our souls to get the attention they deserve. How do we nourish our hearts in the joy of Jesus who has come? Particularly, how do we do this in a manner that we aren't run ragged, we aren't out and exhausted on the back end of that. We might be physically exhausted, but we are not spiritually exhausted when January comes. But how can we captivate and take hold of, uh, uh, of all that this month would have for us in a manner where we can ride that wave of the knowledge of Jesus' coming and it can carry us throughout the rest of the year? Well, I think we find the answer to that in Luke 2, 1 to 21. This Christmas, let us reflect on the birth of Jesus and rejoice in his coming. Let me say this again. This is what I believe this passage has for us. Let us reflect on the birth of Jesus and rejoice in his coming. I invite you to follow along as I read Luke 2, 1 to 21. Follow along as I read these words recounting the birth of our Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth 
peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May God write the truths of his word and the glories of the Savior told of us here upon our hearts. If I'm going to put before you or argue for you that Christmas demands that we reflect on the birth of Jesus, that we not only reflect but move from reflection to rejoicing, this raises the question, how do we do this? Well, I think we can best reflect on it with, with, with gravitas, with understanding, with concrete bedrock sureness of hope by seeing this in three ways. In verses 1 to 7, we see the facts of Jesus' birth. Well, we're going to do three parts of the sermon, but the first two, we see the facts of Jesus' birth in 1 to 7, and then we see the wonder of Jesus' birth in verses 8 to 14. And then that will ask a question of us later in the sermon. The facts of Jesus' birth, the wonder of his birth. Let us reflect on these. First, the facts of Jesus' birth, verses 1 to 7. Now, remember, my aim is to help us to reflect on Jesus, to know that his birth is grounded in history. Remember, facts are going to lead to wonder. Jesus is coming. His birth was as real as you and I waking up this morning. His birth is as real as you and I being in this room right now. So my task is to make sure how we see these historical facts and we understand that that historical facts and faith are not disconnected, rather they are connected. The facts surrounding Jesus' birth actually serve to water the seed of our faith that it may grow, that it may may, may be nurtured. And as we see and we study the, the plane of history as it stretches across time, we may see the birth of the seed of faith that reaches to the kingdom of God. And so Luke helps us, and he wants us to see historical facts that help the reader to situate and to understand the story of this Jesus who has come. This is why he gives us in verse 1 and 2 these kind of historical uh, uh, bookmarks to help his reader to understand the timing of this birth. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, he was emperor of Rome, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, each to his own town. So you see Caesar Augustus, you see Quirinius. So Mary is pregnant with this baby boy, the product of God's divine work in creating a child in her, though she was a virgin. And Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, makes a decree that everyone needs to take a census. And to do so, they need to go back to their homelands. They need to go back to their ancestral homes in order that accurate records can be, assimil- uh, can be, can be uh, uh, gathered. So this leaves Mary and Joseph to leave their home in Galilee, north of Jerusalem, and to travel to Bethlehem because that is where Joseph is from, as one who is from the line of David, the great king of Israel. 
You read that in verses 4 and 5. And now, as we consider the exchange or the, the interplay between our faith and historical facts, we see that what God uses in history, what God uses history to do is to reveal to us how history marches not towards uh, 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 some indiscriminate, unexplainable beat of a, of a drum that we can't, ex- can't, can't see or can't hear. Rather, we see that um, God is the one who orchestrates these events in order that we might see His glory over them. In fact, it's important for us to see that there's two different ways that we can understand the story of the birth of Jesus. One of which is just straight, just give me the facts. The other of which is seeing the hand of God in the facts. And so here's what I mean. It's important for us to remember something Luke does throughout his gospel. And that is he references important historical figures and events. The kind of thing that looks really impressive to the natural eye. But then Luke will turn the spotlight from that which appears to be really important, and he'll turn it to something else, something often unnoticed, something apparently small, and yet Luke is saying, yes, this is the thing that is actually truly significant. We are not here worshiping Caesar Augustus. We're not here worshiping Quirinius. We're here worshiping another figure in this story who was not so great at the time of his birth. In the, or not so great in the eyes of the world, I should say. So, in fact, I want you to see something. This is fascinating. If you trace through Luke 2, 1 through 7, I want to trace down the, the names of the individuals mentioned here. And we're actually going to see how they go from, from, in the eyes of the world, great significance, all the way down to kind of least significance. So you would see this with Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. No more powerful figure on the face of the earth at this time. And then you have Quirinius, the governor of Syria, who's under Caesar. Caesar in verse 1, Quirinius in verse 2. Then you have in verse 4, Joseph, a young male. Then you have verse 5, Mary, his bride-to-be, who is pregnant. And then down in verse 7, you have the newborn baby son. You see this progression of important to unimportant. The emperor of Rome to a newborn baby who is so helpless. The idea here that Luke is showing us is not a matter of importance. It's a matter of significance. And Luke records this, that we might see how God turns us upside down. To see the true facts of the birth of the Son of God. In order that we might understand that He was and He is and His coming was real but that we might understand that His coming demands a change in our perspective. And so as He walks us through this, He grounds us in understanding these historical facts, the journey, the census, the figures, all at play. But then He drops us in verse 6 and 7, and He says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The census had brought many people back home to Bethlehem. The hotels were full. Lodging accommodations were exhausted. Mary and Joseph were probably staying in something that was quite similar to what we would think of as like a pretty cheap hostel. There was a manger off to the side of it. The baby comes, there's nowhere else to go. 
And so now we see the birth of Jesus situated in history, in the days of Caesar Augustus, the days of Quirinius, as this census is being taken. But now Luke takes us and says, I don't want you just to see the historical facts so you can have that up here. But I want you to see how these bleed down in and produce wonder in your heart. So you don't just see it up here, but you sing of it from your heart. And this takes us to the wonder of Jesus' birth in verse 8 to 14. So the baby has been born. He has been laid in swaddling cloths, laid in a manger. And we find in verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's the significance of this birth. An angel of the Lord just kind of, kind of keeping this theme of, 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 of importance versus significance and all that is ongoing here. The angel appears not before kings, not before Congress, not even before religious leaders, but before lowly shepherds. In a world that wants to see resumes and accomplishments and and those who have great social cachet, you only encounter God and find true joy in Him when you are humbled before Him. Christmas tells us that God is not impressed with what we are naturally impressed with, but He calls us to stop trying to impress, rather to acknowledge the unimpressiveness of that which we bring to the table. Because when we recognize not how great we are, and why we should be welcomed into the presence of God, but when we see how great our need is, it is then that we don't enter, into, enter before Him with a sense of entitlement, but it is then that we see and we can take awe and wonder before Him. Now those words, do not be afraid, they would seem quite appropriate. I got up this morning quite early and I stepped outside to get something out of my car and the, the, there were no clouds in the sky. It was cold. The, the stars were shining brightly. And I thought to myself, you know, this would be a great time for an angel to show up. And what do you think happened? Angel did not show up. I went and looked in the mirror and said, Stephen, you're the angel. Just kidding. Just kidding on that. Don't take that worth anything. But if an angel did show up, I would probably have to be the one that was told, do not be afraid. Fear is something that is natural to us when we see that which is greater than ourselves and intimidates us and terrifies us even. Even if it seems to be bringing good news. If you're familiar with Charlie Brown Christmas special. Charlie Brown is, uh, the, or excuse me, Linus, you might be familiar with him. He's a boy who always carries around his blankie. People try to get him to forget his blankie or grow up from carrying it around, but Linus always carries around this blankie. Because why? It is his security, because he is afraid. 
And I don't know if you're familiar with this from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I've told some of you about this before. But anyway, at one point in this Christmas special, Charlie Brown says, will I ever know the true meaning of Christmas? You can hear that in his voice. And Linus simply says, I can tell you the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. Then Linus starts to quote from these words in Luke 2. And when he gets to this point where he says, do not be afraid, he sticks his arms out wide and in the air and his blankie drops. Because in Christ, he no longer has to be afraid. Go watch it. I think Charles Schwartz, the creator of Peanuts, was doing this very much intentionally. Because the message, the wonder about the baby that was born in the days of Caesar Augustus, the baby that was born in the days of, uh, of, of the Quirinius, the governor of Syria, he came in order that you may not have to be afraid. And now that naturally raises the question, afraid of what? Well, the angels help us, or the angel in this, inter- this interchange between the angel and the shepherds helps us to see this. In verse 11, he says, for, uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now pause here. A Savior, Christ the Lord. Do you see three titles there? This Savior is the one who would atone for the sins of His people. For them to hear this, they would hear, okay, okay, a Savior, but, but the danger is, if we hear this today, we might think, well, what do I need a Savior from? Well, I might need a Savior from the things outside of me that would seek my harm. But what we have to understand is Jesus did not come just to protect us from that which was outside of us, but to save us from that which is inside of us, namely our own sin, our own rebellious hearts against God. And if you don't think that we need saving from that, If you don't think we need some kind of redemption from that, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. We are talking about a profoundly amazing thing that happens here in the birth of the Son of God. And yet, I want us to all ask ourselves with utmost complete honesty, how often do I hear this story? How how familiar am I with this? And yet, I am actually at times bored by it. I'm disinterested in it. I have little use for it. Far too often that's the case in my own heart, just considering the things of God. We need a Savior to lift the scales off of the eyes of our hearts that we may see into the mirror of our sin and see our Lord, but we also need a Savior that we may have the eyes of our our hearts opened that we may trust in Him, the one who redeems us from our sin. So maybe the thing you need to see today in the Lord Jesus, this baby who has come, is your need for him as a savior who atones for your sin. He's Christ, Christ, the Messiah, the promised one sent of God to rescue, to redeem his people. And he is the Lord, the Lord, the one who reigns over all. This is no small saying for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, as you get ready for Christmas, because December is going to be over before you know it. You cook, you wrap gifts, you load up the car, you make sure you have everything ready, you're trying to get everything done, the calendar's marching on too fast, 
But as you try to check things off the to-do list, as you try to get everything done that needs to be done, you know what you don't have to worry about forgetting? Your fears. They're always with you. You have a better chance of escaping your shadow than escaping your fears. And this is why the angel says to you, fear not, for the Lord has come. And he says to you, born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior. And the only thing that can follow such a great announcement is a heavenly host, an angelic multitude, praising God, as verse 14 says. I imagine the angel saying this, and then like, like have you ever been at a show where there's like a spotlight on one figure, and then the lights shine on the whole stage, and there's a whole chorus that are ready to sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't know what to say to, to try to explain that even. May God give us wonder at these kinds of pronouncements about Christ who has come. Savior, Christ the Lord, the one who has atoned for our sins. Lord, help us to see, help us to reflect, help us to have wonder. You know how you have wonder? When you consider the, thing, the, the fears, the, the worries, the anxieties, the burdens of your own sin that captivate, that grab hold of your heart, or not captivate, but cripple your heart in fear. And when you consider those, and when you then recognize that, that though you feel inundated by these, though you feel overwhelmed in them, that there is someone who has come who is able to take them on himself. There is one who is greater than these fears that you carry. And you can know Him because He has come to you. The danger we face is that we will find Him out of touch with our day, insignificant in the eyes of all that we carry. I recently heard about a man who did a bit of an experiment outside a train station in London. He printed out leaflets or flyers. You know, you're walking down the street and somebody hands you a flyer and, okay, here you go and take this. And you never read them, right? I don't. Um, you know, they're always advertising a new restaurant opening or ultra low cell phone deals or things like that. So for three hours on the streets of London, this guy's handing out these leaflets right there. The leaflet simply told whoever received it to read it and take it right back to the man and he would give them uh, 10 pounds. The, the, the currency, not 10 pounds, like the weight you're going to put on the holidays. Maybe. Maybe you won't. So he passed out these leaflets for a few hours to hundreds, if not thousands of people who were walking along the street, right in the heart of London. And do you know how many people actually turned around and came back to him for the 10 pounds? 11 people. He estimates that's probably 1 to 2% of the people who received one of these leaflets. Here's a danger for us. We're all on that street knowing how busy we are. We're all on that street trying to navigate the challenges and trials and everything that we walk through in life. 
But the danger for us is receiving the leaflet, hearing about Christmas, and hearing about, hearing about Jesus coming, but believing and, and mistakenly assuming that this is not for us, that it's for other people. It's for those who are religious. It's for other people who, who, who seem to be more inclined to being the church type. We don't stop and sing Christmas carols, though, because it's decent news. We sing because it's good news. We join this angelic chorus because we are ones who once couldn't sing with it. So if this is the state of your heart where you previously, you, you, you feel as if I, 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 my heart does not have wonder towards Jesus who has come. I find him to be disinteresting. I find him to be boring. I find him to be as relevant as the old rotary telephone that, I, you, that you see at your grandmother's house. If you believe Jesus belongs more in a museum than dwelling in your heart as King and Lord, Christmas is for you. That you might know that that is a lie. That He offers you Himself, that He has come to you, and that what Luke shows us is that God is in the business of of, of revealing and showing His glory through His Son to the most unsuspecting people. And Maybe that's you today. wonder this first Christmas carol in verse 14 was not sung in a church, it was not sung on a street corner, it was not sung at a holiday sale on Black Friday, it was sung by this angelic chorus to these shepherds that they may have wonder. So, we reach this point where we have the facts of Jesus' birth, the wonder of Jesus' birth, And now we have to ask ourselves, what will I make of Jesus' birth? How will we respond to it? May we reflect and now may we rejoice. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. We have two responses here, one by Mary and one by the shepherds. I think both are fitting Mary, this young girl who an angel appeared to and said, you will be with child, and he will be the son of God. He will be the Holy One, the Most High. She ponders the faithfulness and the goodness of God in sending a Savior. And what is this role that she has had in his coming? And then you have the shepherds, perhaps a more rowdy bunch. They definitely hadn't just given birth, maybe a little more energetic, And they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. So what Luke shows us is, and asks us is how will we respond to the birth of Jesus? Will we look at the facts and respond in wonder? Or will we look at the facts and we respond in disinterest. 
when a baby of great fame is born, like that of the royal family, or of celebrities, for reasons of security, for reasons of comfort, they can have a whole wing or floor of a hospital that is reserved for them. Jesus didn't get a wing or a floor or even a room. He got a trough. He didn't get a trough because it was an accident. He didn't get a manger because it was an accident. Think about it. God who ordained a census to be taken, all the people to be registered, people to have to journey far and wide back to their ancestral homelands. God did not see Mary and Joseph get back to Bethlehem and say to himself, oh, I forgot to arrange their lodging. No. He got a manger because it was the first step, well, the second step of humility of his coming. The first step was his coming in the form of the most helpless and forms, a newborn babe. Second step is the trough, the trough, excuse me. And now this helpless babe in a humiliating trough is announced to humble, helpless shepherds. And this is a call to us to recognize in humility and to take wonder at the coming of the Lord, the Christ, the Savior. Will we reflect? Will we rejoice? We don't want to waste December. We don't want to waste, ignore, shrug off the birth of Christ. But not only do we not want to waste it, we want to be aware of our need for it. Let us reflect on the coming of Christ through God's divine orchestrating of world events. And let us take wonder at the coming of Christ for the explanation for why He has come. That He might take away our fears. That He might show us in the midst of our fears, let's say, that He is with us. That we may look back at His coming. That we may trust that He is coming again. And that we may know that God is with us. I don't know about you, but that's what I need this December. That's what I need not just December, that's what I need the other 11 months of the year as well. I need to know, we need to know, that God is with us. Hear this promise from not my mouth, not even from Luke, but from the angel. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let us reflect, and as we reflect, he will take our hearts and lead us to rejoice. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would help us to take heart to this good news of great joy that meets us all exactly where we are and calls us to come to the King. King Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, 
Come that we may have life. And let us take our lives. Let us run to Him, our Redeemer. And let us know that Christ is with us. Doing a work upon us and in us that is so great that angels long to look in upon it. Let us know that Christ has not come 2,000 years ago to forsake us, but He dwells in us today. And we pray this in His name. Amen.